Hello, listeners, and welcome to The Edge Podcast. I am your host, Leslie Vickery, CEO and founder of Clear Edge Marketing. For those of you new to The Edge, we feature executive women in the recruitment industry in an effort to shine the light on the wonderful women leading our industry forward and for up-and-comers. If they can see it, women in executive roles, and understand the day in the life of the C-suite, they can certainly envision and be it. For today's episode, it brings me great pleasure to welcome Janet Elkin, President and CEO at IMN Enterprises. Janet is a visionary and celebrated icon across the healthcare staffing industry. I have had the pleasure of knowing and working with Janet for decades. This podcast has long been in the making, Janet, to have you here with us, and I'm so excited. And I can tell all of you listeners this, every professional success Janet has achieved She has paid back to the industry in spades by coaching and advancing others. She is a people first leader, and I am so excited to have her here today to discuss what shaped her journey and what her hopes are for our industry and its transformation. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you. I would love to start with you giving our audience some background on your company and what you are up to today professionally. Sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I have so much respect for everything that you've done. And after many years of being in staffing and recruiting in all different types of healthcare staffing primarily, I then two years ago bought two different companies. One is Icon Medical Network, which is physician staffing and advanced practice, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, all temporary work. And then four months later, <laughs> Took the plunge again and bought Independence Anesthesia, which is anesthesiologists and CRNAs. And those are certified registered nursing anesthetists. And merged them together. And now we are IMN Enterprises. In addition, since then, we've grown. I think I was the 10th employee when I bought the first company. We're now about 90 employees, which I still can't believe. And we've added in a direct hire division and also just opened a new division Med Adventures, which will do nursing and allied health. Incredible. You are a true entrepreneur, and I love listening to your story and how you really have been growing and combining the companies but making a difference in our industry. And I have to say that you and I both know that the journey to building a business is often not a direct one, or I might say it's not magic. It takes work. But Janet, something I loved learning about you, I think a little one of those best kept secrets not often talked about when we're catching up one-on-one, but magic was in fact a part of your early story as an entrepreneur. So while you were really kind of growing your roots in entrepreneurship, I'm really curious to hear and know if it was always your path. Well, interesting. It was always a, if nothing else, a talkative child. And when I was, I think, 12, My father, who had loved magic, but during the Depression, never had any kind of funds to even buy any tricks. And I must have said that I liked one magic trick. And the next thing I knew, he came home with a whole bunch of them. So at 12, I started a business doing magic shows at birthday parties. My parents were my assistants. And it was a great way to buy a lot of the clothing, which, of course, I had to have as a teenager. But I think more than that, it really taught me about stage presence. First of all, it was like to run a business, but more importantly, what it was like to have to perform even when you weren't feeling that well. And as I joke, that 
being at a board meeting is not as difficult when you've tried to perform magic for an eight-year-old boy's birthday party. So it was a fun time, really did it all through high school and a little bit into college as well. And it was a it was a great part of my growing up. Fun fact, I grew up and did magic with David Copperfield. So it was an interesting time in New York. And I think kind of a corollary to that, I was on a pilot show that never aired for children who would try to solve celebrities' problems. It was a talk show. And my mother started out of the paper and said, well, we know why. I think it was if you're talkative and bright. The bright, I'm not so sure. The talkative, absolutely. And although it never aired, again, it was an experience that said, gee, you know, I, I like to solve people's problems, which is maybe why I'm in staffing today. And I'm comfortable in front of an audience. Okay, I have a couple thoughts for you here, Janet. First, I'm sure many people are going to want to learn more about magic and your history. And you may be getting asked at conferences now to do magic tricks or something. So I'm so sorry if that happened. I'm not, I'm not that great. So it's not. <laughs> well, that said, I have a seven-year-old son, so I can only imagine what it was like going to an eight-year-old boy's birthday party. <laughs> and I loved hearing you say that. And I actually told my son that we were talking and that I actually knew a real magician because he just in his recent talent show um, oh. did a couple of magic tricks, which was so cute to watch and, and see and just hear the audience ooh and on him stand up on stage. And you're right, that stage presence at such a young age can make such a difference in really building your confidence, whether that be in sales meetings or going to the boardroom or doing magic tricks for eight-year-old boys. So I give you just a lot of credit for doing that and thinking about that journey. It's such a fun look at your early, I would say, business adventure. So how did, Janet, that young magician grow up to become a healthcare staffing industry leader and owner? I know it wasn't an easy path. I know we've talked a lot about it from both a personal and professional standpoint, you really have such an incredible story and you were able to turn adversities that for most could have derailed, probably would have derailed their future into a happy family and a successful career in healthcare and talent. And I just want to say I'm so fortunate and I know many others are too that that you chose our industry. Well, thank you. Well, it's never a straight line. When I first got into college, I was working in a very exciting industry in motion picture advertising, working for Paramount Pictures. That was a lot of fun. Then I moved to the suburbs in my first marriage and, and really just did some things outside of the industry. Then I actually formed a company doing jewelry fundraisers at hospitals, where you give a percentage back to the Women's Auxiliary. And that was, that was the first time that I really learned anything about healthcare. And when people would say to me at the hospital, like, look at this, you see these beds, like you help buy the beds. And I thought, that's really wonderful. In some way, I'm helping people get well. And so I loved it. So it was kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, but also the caring that really mattered to me. Then I went through a very difficult divorce. And I think it's important for people to know things aren't in a straight line. And someone may look at you today and you may be successful and think, well, it was always easy. Unfortunately, I was married to someone who became a substance abuser. And it was, to say difficult, I guess was an understatement. It became physically and emotionally unsafe. And so when I left, I lost everything that mattered to me 
in terms of financial gain, but I kept what mattered, my two daughters. And that's really, at the end of the day, I like to think that I know what's important and what's not, and started over from the ground up. People had said to me when I lost my business, well, you know, you can talk. Again, that theme seems to be coming through my life and maybe become a headhunter. So that's how it started. I became a headhunter and worked at a firm doing healthcare IT and really loved it. Um, it was something of a sweatshop, but did that for five years and then ended up at Supplemental Healthcare, which was my first entree really into healthcare staffing and never looked back. I love it. I love everything about it. And by the way, the end of that story is ended up getting remarried and life is good. Oh, good. You know, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story. That's one of the things I love about this podcast is when others can hear stories that kind of relate to themselves that they maybe don't often talk about and feel like they're not alone. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm so happy that you were able to come out on the other side of that so triumphant and really, again, starting over and just seeing the success that you've been able to have. It really is something that will give others hope too when listening to this. So thank you just so much for sharing that journey. I can hear, Janet, when you tell your stories, really just the passion you have for caring for others, which is such a powerful pillar in healthcare excellence. So I have to ask you, how has that kind of care-driven nature about yourself impacted that healthcare staffing journey? And is that something you would tell other women and leaders is critical in their staffing industry career paths? In other words, is it critical for the future also for healthcare and staffing in general? And again, that's that kind of care-driven nature. It seems to come naturally with healthcare, but something that really stands out as something strong for you. And I'm sure you have stories of where maybe others were not and others were, but if that stands out as something critical, I'd just love to hear your thoughts as others think about their own career paths. Well, I think that if you're going to do this industry, if you're going to be in healthcare staffing, it should matter to you about patient care. It should. One of the things that often when I interview and I am the first, after they talk to my corporate recruiter, I'm the first interview for every position of the company. I don't know, maybe it's a little crazy, but I do it because I feel like if I were interviewing, I'd want to know the strategy behind it, what makes the person tick, you know, what drives them. And I just, I think that it matters. And I often say, just remember, it could be my mother in that bed, who, by the way, is almost 95 and doing great. But the point is, it could be a family member and it, you should feel that way. Um, it, we're not a company that makes widgets and there's nothing wrong with that. However, it is a higher responsibility. We should make sure that we put the right people to work. Whether you're a physician, nurse practitioner, a nurse, or a physical therapist, it needs to be someone that deserves to take care of patients. And profits for one thing, obviously important, but without that caring, without that commitment and responsibility, I mean, I just wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror. It just, it matters. And I like to think that all of my employees know how much it matters. There will never be a time on my watch that we knowingly put someone in a situation that either they're not prepared for or they're not the right person for. And you can see it just in even following your team and, and you and the company on even LinkedIn and channels like that. You can see in the culture you've created and having conversations with your team, what you have built. So I agree that care-driven 
nature really carries through everything that you do. And I'm curious, Janet, because when you start from the childhood magician, you know, young budding entrepreneur, and then you have kind of the adversities you overcame and now building the successful career, oftentimes we don't put ourselves first and we're caring for everyone else. So I'm curious if you could share a little bit about that commitment to care and how it has shaped how you care for yourself, your own teams or staff, or even your mentees. Well, it's a process, right? I mean, the thing is like, look, we're driven to produce, produce, produce. But because I know how important family is, it's extraordinarily important to me. I maybe am not always the greatest about taking care of myself, although I did get on the Peloton this morning. But I care very much about other people being able to feel that they can take care of their families, not just from financial gain. But I think back to when I interviewed to work at that search firm that I was at for five years and I was getting really nervous because the interview went so long and I had to do carpool. So I had to find a reason to like walk outside and ask someone else to do it for me because I had no one else otherwise in my family that lived near me. And I thought about, I don't want other people to ever be afraid if they had to go to a school event or do something else. Now, do they work hard? Yes. Do they maybe pick it up again later at night when their kids go to sleep? Sure. Okay. But you should never be afraid to take care of those people that matter to you more than anything else. And so that is something that really matters to me. And when you talk about paying it forward, it's something that we try to strive for throughout the company. So like we had one person that we hired and she had to leave every day to pick up her children from school and bring them home. And she was afraid to ask us if that was okay. And my thought was like, look, you're an adult. I always like to say, I'm going to treat you like an adult. And then I'm going to hope you're going to act like one. So you do what you need to do. If you're on it, then it will work out. But I think back to like all the soccer games, the dance recitals, the Girl Scout trips, because I was an assistant leader in the things that I did. And, you know, I don't know if my daughters who were grown with children of their own now, if they would remember everything but I do. And I think that matters. And I, I want that for my folks and for anyone that I work with, whether in or out of the company. Oh, and it's so hard to take care of ourselves when we're trying to take care of everyone else. And I'm a huge advocate of, of working out. See you on your Peloton. I did a mountain bike ride this morning, but some days it's just hard to do. And I think for myself, at least I'm trying to do a better job of finding grace in myself. Mm. And not having as many of those 3 a.m. wake up calls with my brain going off saying, oh, you should have done this or why didn't you do this and questioning everything. And it could be anything like, was I present when I was over at skateboarding camp with my son or did I do this or do that? We're all just trying to do the best that we can and just finding grace in ourselves is so important. So Janet, I'd love to know, and we talk about this often on our podcast because it's something that even the highest level of executives, board members, and investors often struggle with, do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? Do I ever suffer from imposter syndrome? Maybe every day. (laughs) Consistently. And I think that's, you know, there's an old expression like, don't believe your own press clipping. So, oh yeah, by the way, I have plenty of those waking up at 4 a.m. can't go back to sleep. But I mean, some of it's just that I take my responsibility really seriously. I have 90 people who are depending on me for their livelihood and investors who invested in the company. So it matters. But I think overall, yes, I think that there's always a feeling of, 
hmm, I'm doing okay today, but am I doing the right thing? And that's why I think a strong team of leaders that you can depend on, and not just my executive team, but others on the leadership team. We have something called snowboard leaders. Why? Because the last company event that we went to that we do yearly, where everybody gets together since we are remote, was at in Snowboard, Utah. And so we took kind of the next step down from the executive team. And I probably learned more from them than anybody else. But I think they help keep me grounded. And if I do it right, I'm teaching them that we're always going to have moments where we feel like, oh, am I really doing a good job? Is this really okay? And I think I'm also from a generation that for women probably felt that even more keenly. But you fight against it. You know, every day I fight against it. So although now I'm, I'm, you know, comfortable in my role, but it wasn't always that way. And I think there's a little doubt, maybe this sounds bad, but I think a little doubt isn't the worst thing in the world because that also drives you to do better. Mm, I love that. And, you know, a couple of things that you've mentioned, Janet, as far as being a leader and so forth, even talking about having imposter syndrome or even on the health side of things and taking care of ourselves and taking care of others, you know, leading by example, I think sometimes we don't realize how much people on our teams or around us are paying attention to what we're doing. And by sometimes just talking about those feelings, it gives other people permission to feel good about themselves too, so to speak, and not worry so much that they have it too. So someone may be like, no way, Janet Elkin has imposter syndrome every single day. Wow, that it almost makes them feel better. And you know what? If we can help people by sharing our stories and being really vulnerable about that, great. I also know it's important for you to pay it forward, as we've talked about a bit on the podcast here today, and really help other women in our industry rise to ensure we're in a stronger position and have, quite frankly, a fair and welcome work environment. I'd love to hear a little bit about your long term vision as to how we can really make greater change for equality in our industry, in a people-first industry, which is made up of almost more women than men. It's interesting, isn't it, in that there's so many women, and yet to get to the executive level, you're not. When I go to executive forum, and I've said, to, I've joked with some of the folks who staffing industry analysts that I would like one day for the ladies' rooms, the women's rooms, to be have as much of a line as the men's room do, but we tend to lose women along the way. So entry level, yes. Mid-level, definitely. But from there to get to be CEO or board member, we really, we lose them. And I can see why. It was my last company in particular where it was amazing. I've been pretty fortunate my whole life where I didn't really feel that much of a difference because I was female. But I will say that it seemed as if if a male, even a male that was where I was, you know, their supervisor said something, my chairman would listen immediately. If I said something, it just wasn't heard. And I thought, well, after a while, it happened so many times, it can't be a coincidence. And I found that to really carve the path I wanted after many years of being in the industry, I was going to have to buy my own company. And that's why I'm majority owner of my company, because now I am free to do the things that I know really matters. So for instance, do we have to do a recognition trip every year that, you know, costs substantial funds? We just got back from Grand Cayman and next year we're going to Cabo. No, you don't have to. Does it mean people will quit because of it? No. But you know what? If they'll feel like 
they had that opportunity to go ahead and do well enough to get up on that stage. I had a woman in Grand Cayman who works for me, who's a single parent, and she had tears in her eyes when she said she never thought she'd be at this point in her life. And I thought that made it all worthwhile. But we don't have enough opportunity to get women up. And I think it's because we tend not to be as great networkers, frankly, right? We're not usually off on the golf course because we're trying to take care of kids on the weekends or maybe hanging out at the bar after work, those kind of things. So we struggle. And that's why I'm getting ready to start an organization called Building Iconic Women to get those folks who aren't at entry level, not even mid-level, but maybe they're that director or VP level and get them to the CEO level, get them where they really have a seat at the table. Because I will tell you, now that I truly have a seat at the table, I'm having the time of my life. It's never been more fun. And I feel as if the people who work for me have a real opportunity as well. Well, you've carved your own path, which is so interesting. I mentioned earlier when we were kicking off the podcast that I co-founded a group called ARA. It's a women in technology organization. We have about 6,000 people part of the program across the U.S. And over the years, we would do these surveys every year. And it was interesting when talking about leaving an industry and asking where women were going, again, due to unfair work environments, poor treatment, those were the top two reasons they were leaving. Guess what they were going to do? Do something Start else. their own company. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. become entrepreneurs, which is great. So then we have a really nice, you know, we're growing the uh, entrepreneur set with women. But it's interesting that even going to another company, not seeing that potential or opportunity to rise up, therefore they need to create their own opportunity. And sometimes it can take several years as an executive at a company or someone rising up through the ranks, so to speak, to really open their eyes and see that. And again, it's not for everyone, but for those that it is, it can be a really rewarding experience. And again, in your case and in my case, being the business owner, we can set that tone. We can make it comfortable. We can create those opportunities. And then hopefully as we're doing it to your point with what you're looking to do with your business and we're doing with the rising side of our business, it's how do we open the eyes for other people and create those opportunities? And I know you and I share this passion really looking at, you know, where can we leave this industry from a legacy standpoint? And if we can leave it in a better place when it comes to equality, then I know we're both in to make that happen, create that really strong next generation of leader. Now we have a long way to go, but we are making progress. We really are. And look, it's not everyone's in a position to start their own business. It was funny because, so I have started seeing this when I need to get my hair blown out for something special occasion. I found this young woman who works at a salon and she's just, she's like, you know, I was going to, to college to do one thing, but now I decided I'm going to take business courses because I want to be an entrepreneur. And I thought, good for you, because this is not easy. I was terrified getting investors. Remember laying out all the incorporation papers from the floor of my study and thinking, I'm really doing this? But whatever you can do to learn early on will help you whatever you end up doing. I agree. Great. Well, Janet, thank you so much. It has been a ton of fun having you on our podcast. And I love to close out each episode with a few rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready, I think. <laughs> I'm really curious about this first question. If you could be anything in the world, what would you be? Mm. 
Well, I would love to be a pianist. Of course, the problem is I never learned how to play the piano. So let's take that one out. But um, <laughs> probably I would have liked to have been involved politically as a politician for good. But we know how quickly they can turn. So probably that's why I'm involved in healthcare instead. But that was always something that interested me. Well, never say never. You can <laughs> always uh, <laughs> see what's next, I guess. But yeah, I am there with you on that one. Okay, so we have a little bit of a twist on this question where normally we ask what advice we would give our younger self. I like to look at it with a little bit of a spin to think about where we are today and thinking back to who we were earlier in our state and in our careers. Advice your younger self would tell you today? I think my younger self would probably say, just remember to be an optimist. It's something I've always been through thick and thin and remember it because look where you got to woman, you're really doing well. So don't, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Remember, because I was like that 30, 40 years ago and just keep that spirit going. Yeah, I agree. I think about just have fun. You don't have to be so serious. Like all these, exactly. that, you know, worrying about all these other things and people and what they think you just kind of, as you continue to grow, just see the world a little differently. Okay. Do you have any daily rituals that you stick to? Well, I try to work out just about every day. I don't always get there, but I do try because it's just, it's so important. It actually, I think helps clear your head. It's hard because I'm on Zoom calls all day long. So my days can fluctuate. But believe it or not, like some of the things I stick to are my mom, who I referenced earlier, who is, you know, almost 95 and lives 1,700 miles from me. I make sure I connect with her by phone at least a couple of times a day and my kids as well, because that keeps me grounded. And this way, I don't just completely obsess just about work. And then I try to make sure that. Every night I get, even if it's only like 15, 20 minutes, a chance to read, just to kind of take myself into a different place. Mm, that's something I need to work on. It always calms my brain. I bet I'd probably sleep better at night if I went to bed reading as well sure. as something not related to work whatsoever. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. All right. If you could stop something and start something, what would it be? Well, I need to stop worrying about things week to week because it doesn't work that way with business, right? It's really quarter over quarter. And probably my executive team would be much happier with me if I didn't, if I'm not always so reactive. If something happens, it's not really great in a particular week. And, you know, I'd like to really look at the long haul and the full picture. And the more I can stop being so reactive to things would be great. And to start something, oh, I'd like to start being more organized. If you looked at my desk right now, let's just say it's not pretty, but it's a work in progress. <laughs> I feel like we are the same person sometimes. Really? So I'm just going to say, you know, all right, what are you reading, listening to, and watching? Well, I'm reading slowly because like 1,100 pages, a book. I don't usually read a lot of nonfiction, but it's called The Power Broker. It's by Robert Caro, who wrote all the great books on LBJ, the president. And it's about, the man who really developed most of the roads and the highways in New York, like earlier on. And he wasn't a very good individual because in the process, he he really hurt a lot of people who were like forced out of their homes. But it's very enthralling, first of all, because the way he writes is just so good. And to see how someone who was never 
elected to an office could have held sway over so many people. So that's just kind of fascinating. I listen to podcasts, particularly though, I like to listen to NPR because they have some, you know, station just has some really interesting things that I would have never thought about or known about if I wasn't listening to that as often as I can. And in terms of watching, I do get a lot of playing time because I travel quite a bit. So I download things and just finished watching Ted Lasso, which of course is just a a great story for everyone and Succession, which is about power gone wrong. But that's pretty much what I've been doing. I need to catch up on Succession. And I don't know, I heard a rumor. My husband was telling me he was reading about Ted Lasso and uh, some of the characters, some of the actors are saying maybe it isn't over. So we'll see, see what happens there. But you're right. It's just so heartwarming and to your point of positivity and always looking at things with that lens. It's the the perfect show to kind of lift you up. Janet, thank you so much for sharing your story and such great advice. I know you've given myself a lot to think about, a lot of reminders of things I need to just do and make happen and really practical takeaways. So if someone's listening to the podcast and they'd like to connect with you, not book you for anything related to magic, but just connect with you (laughs) about your uh, journey and, you know, just being an entrepreneur and healthcare industry and all of those things and overcoming adversities, what's the best method to get in touch with you? I mean, either I'm active on LinkedIn, that's always fine, or the quickest way, because I'm on a plane, my cell phone, obviously, they get really angry when you start answering it. It's probably, I have a very easy email address because it's back when we didn't have a lot of employees and it's just Janet at IconMN, as in medicalnetwork.com. And I I would love to hear from people. Thank you. Thank you again so much. Thanks for the time. 